Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pet, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Our players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, streaming live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com, and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. I'm your host, Jordan Malley. Along with me is Matt Peck. We're on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Back from the weekend, Bulls Nation. Matt is out once again. He will be back tomorrow, but I'm here hanging out with you, and I've got a special guest for today's show, long overdue. It's Tony Gill. Tony Gill is producer at 670 The Score. He's also the host of the No Zones podcast covering the Chicago Bulls and the NBA. He's also the executive producer of the Dean Davis Show. So check Tony Gill out on Twitter at TonyGill670. Sat down with Tony Gill for about an hour. Talked everything from the NBA All-Star Game and the All-Star Festivities in Charlotte this weekend to everything from the first half of the Chicago Bulls season this week and so much more. So before we get to that interview, I wanted to mention that if you haven't heard by now, you probably already know, but for some of our international listeners out there, a terrible tragedy happened on Friday afternoon here in the suburbs of Chicago in Aurora, Illinois. It's with great sadness that we learned about the mass shooting that took place in Aurora, Illinois on Friday that took the lives of five people and injured five police officers. We wanted to say that those families and victims have been in our thoughts all weekend, and we wanted to offer our sincerest condolences from Locked On Bulls and the Locked On Podcast Network. For those wondering how you can help those affected, the families and the victims affected by this mass shooting here in Aurora, whether you live in the Chicagoland area or you live somewhere in the United States or you live internationally, the city of Aurora, the Aurora Police Department, the Aurora Fire Department, and the other public safety officials have set up a GoFundMe page to help those affected by this tragedy. If you go to GoFundMe.com slash Aurora Strong to donate, the page's goal was set at $50,000 and has already su- surpassed that goal and is at $71,877 right now as we speak. So if you want to help donate, if you want to help these families that were affected by this awful, awful tragedy... You can, you can do that by going to GoFundMe.com slash Aurora Strong. And for more information on how you can help, for more details about this, you can contact MyAurora at Aurora-IL.org. Once again, our thoughts have been with those families, with those affected, and I know this is hitting close to home for a lot of our listeners who may live in the area, may live in the surrounding areas, or may know people that have been affected by this tragedy that happened on Fridays. Without further ado, let's just get right into the interview with Tony. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony Gill 670. Here is Tony Gill. All right, now we welcome on for the very first time here at Locked On Bulls. 
He's a producer at 670 The Score. He's host of the No Zones podcast and the executive producer of the Dean Davis Show. It is Tony Gill. Tony, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for coming on Locked On Bulls. It's been long overdue. How you doing? Are you getting through this Bulls season? I know it's been it's been a very difficult one for Matt and I, and it certainly has for Bulls fans. I'm doing good, Jordan. Thanks a lot for uh, having me on. It's, uh, I've been a fan of Locked On for, for a while, so I appreciate the uh, the invite. Um, this bull season has, has been interesting, um, to, if I can put it in one word. I mean, the the firing of Fred Hoiberg, the hiring of Jim Boylan, the Jim Boylan experience. You know, it's been, um, again, this is, if I had to put it in one word, it's been interesting. And uh, if you're a Bulls fan, you're, you're hoping that this season, you know, at least standing-wise, ends up poorly so you can end up with that top pick yeah before we get into Jim Boylan and we get into kind of the mess of the front office and everything else that Bulls fans have been disgruntled about let's talk a little bit about the positives and more maybe more specifically about the all-star game here what were your thoughts about this weekend as a whole in Charlotte's obviously Lowry Markinen played in the futures game on Friday it was kind of cool to see him there back-to-back years he didn't participate in the skills challenge or didn't see any other Chicago Bulls in any of the minor events that went on this weekend, but still nonetheless got to see him in Friday night's action was still kind of cool to see him represented. What did you think of the events as a whole compared to the last few years? Are you interested in this at all? Is it just kind of one of those weekends where it was just like, all right, it's something on TV to watch. It's interesting for social media um, compared to everything else that the other leagues are doing. I feel like blow, uh, far and away, this is the best weekend in terms of an all-star event goes. But still, it is what it is to me. What are your thoughts about all-star weekend and how they put it on this this year? Um, the NBA does a fantastic job with their all-star festivities. Um I agree 100% when you said that it's by far out of the four major sports the most entertaining and encompassing uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, of all the uh, four major sports all-star appearances because there's so many, you know, connecting points. It's not just getting the league's best players and respecting the history of the NBA. There's also little games being played, I mean, in terms of, Look at the way LeBron drafted his all-star team. You know, it, those are all the guys that have been linked or, you know, uh, connected either directly or indirectly to LeBron wanting to play with them. Um, it's just the, the, the other and layered aspects of the all-star weekend of these guys talking to each other on the side freely, uh, making future plans, the possibility of playing with each other. Um, it, it, it's so interesting because of that added layer uh, in the All-Star game. And plus, you get to see the world's most talented, you know, guys participate in, in the dunk contest and the, in the three-point shooting contest and the skills challenge, which is, is really come, you know, come on on its own um, in terms of what we're used to, the dunk contest and the three-point contest. The skills challenge is actually something that I look forward to now. So, yeah, I 100% agree that the, the, the NBA All-Star game is, is definitely uh, a, a made for, I mean, the celebrities involved, like, it's just so crazy. I enjoy it every year, and I can't wait till it comes here next year. Yeah, people make it, like, the thing I have to think about when when I read, like, instant reaction from people this weekend, it's like, at a certain level, there's always going to be a select group of people that are going to complain about everything, including this. 
And when I think about that, I'm like, all right, push you guys to the side because you guys are going to complain about everything no matter what. And the NBA has been trying to make these slow progressive changes about everything in their league. And and for the most part, I think the changes that they have made have been progressively good. Think about it this way. Remember when the NBA has had tried to make changes to the All-Star Weekend, like the dunk contest specifically? Remember that one year that they tried to make the change to the dunk contest and they just had guys go out there and like perform dunks for like two minutes straight and then they graded them and then that was it? Like, what was that? So, so <laughs> going back to, to the original format of how they had the dunk contest and actually bringing in some young guys and while... Maybe the dunks weren't as original or people weren't as excited for those. Still, the two or three dunks that that got people excited this year, Hamidio Diallo's dunk and Dennis Smith Jr.'s dunk, I think those were worth watching more than anything else. And then the little, like you said, like the little storylines too of, you know, catching Joel Embiid and Russell Westbrook having to play on the same exact team this weekend is just so funny to me. And, and it blows out of the water like the NFL's, the NFL's Pro Bowl. Like, does anybody even care about the Pro Bowl anymore? Will that even be around in two or three or five years from now? And I was ma- laughing with Matt, too. I said, you know, the NHL All-Star Weekend was going on a few weeks ago, and one of my buddies texted me, and he's like, yeah, the the All-Star Weekend's going on right now. Like, are you watching their skills competitions? Like, dude, I had no idea the All-Star Weekend for the NHL was going on right now. So it just goes to show you how marketable the NBA is and how people still actually care about this. And the only other competition I could say, and it's fading very fairly quickly, is the MLB. But uh, it's good to hear that you at least enjoyed this weekend. Is there one change, if you could make one, if any, to this weekend? And is there one game, one event throughout this weekend that you would like to see changed, and what would you do to it? You know, I, I, a couple things. To that point, I do appreciate the... the uh, that the NBA isn't scared of changing and reforming uh, these events. I mean, the dunk, you spoke to the dunk contest that even though it it was doing fine early on, they're not, they're not afraid of embracing change other than like the other leagues who are just, no, we just do this for tradition. This is how it's always been, you know, even the East and West thing that, that became, you know, not fun because all the big stars were in the West. So they NBA was like, okay, let's change it for the fans. I, I do enjoy that. Uh, one thing that I would change though um, is instead of drafting, you know, a week before the players, I would say just do a live draft on Sunday at the game and just play pickup basketball. Um, we've all had our experiences with pickup basketball. And we know how uh, competitive it can get. Um, they don't need practices or anything. They're not running any plays anyway. So I would just say just draft on, on that Sunday, have those guys pick their jerseys up or have reversible jerseys. Or as we've seen Adam Silver unveil earlier this week, the uh, the changing jerseys with the app, you know, make that available and they can just change their jersey to whoever team that they end up playing for. That's really the only change uh, that I would like to see. That's a good change, actually. I didn't even think about that. That would add another element of excitement to that Sunday because I think once you get to Sunday, it's like, okay, is the – big game like actually the biggest draw because people are excited Friday and Saturday to watch some of these other events but are people actually tuning into the main events the actual game because you know there's the notion of no defense is played are guys actually giving 100% are people actually going to watch on Sunday so that I think would be an interesting element to the game 
The other thing, too, because you brought up the jersey thing, what do you think of that? I thought it was a cool innovation. The only thing I have a problem with is going beyond that and asking the five major questions is, how much is it going to cost? How, do you, how the hell do you wash that thing? What, our owner's going to have a problem with that because that's a huge source of revenue. And to me, the nostalgia factor of going out and buying somebody's jersey and, you know, I have a load of jerseys in my closet that are from guys that played for a year long with that. You know, I was excited that they, a team acquired for them like a White Sox jersey or a Bulls jersey. And then a year later, they were shipped off and I still keep them for a decade or longer. What do you think about the innovation factor of the jerseys and being able to change numbers and all of that? You know what's funny? I didn't even think about washing it. <laughs> I, I thought about, about that. I was like, how do you wash something like that? And like, if it breaks, like, how, how do you, how, like, how do you deal with that? And could you imagine if a jersey costs like six, seven, eight hundred dollars worth of technology in a jersey, and then all of a sudden you pull it out of the wash and you can't change anything on that? <laughs> or, or it may be a fire hazard. I mean, with yeah. all those wires, like, can you wear it in the rain? <laughs> oh, man. They, yeah. I mean, well, Adam Silver put a disclaimer on it, said that it, it probably won't be available till about 2030, or they're at least saying the timeline of this innovation won't be available till somewhere around that timeline. So he's still got some time to deal with it. But I thought it was cool, at least. What do you think about it? Yeah, I thought it was a very cool idea. I mean, my brain went to all the jerseys, you know, that fans have burned because you know um, because their favorite player left their home team or something or their favorite team or something like that they won't be doing that with these I, I highly doubt that and I, I thought it would be cool that okay how would they make continuously make money and I just instantly thought to like video games where you got uh, the extra downloaded content if you pay for it I would I would think that okay you will buy maybe a blank jersey and then you would pay for every color, name, or team um, to be added on there. And just, you would just keep paying for it. If your player switches the team, you have, if you want that player's jersey, just pay for the, uh, that logo or that jersey, and then you can just download it to, to your jersey. So I thought it was a pretty cool idea. Like I said, we won't see it for a while, but I, I like, I like the, uh, the thinking going on. That makes sense. It's like 2K. It's like downloadable content. You've got to – you got to buy the jerseys in order to wear it like in my park or in my career, my team, my player. That makes sense. Interesting. The last thing I had on this is like the one change that I would make is looking at the futures of the Rising Stars Challenge. That game that they played was cool, but, you know, I had to laugh. Somebody tweeted that people who don't watch the NBA think that this is what the NBA is on a nightly basis. And you know, guys were trying to do some of the crazy, you know, tossing up alley-oops to each other, but they were throwing the ball out of bounds or they were just straight up missing. I saw Donovan Mitchell try to alley-oop one off the backboard and he just completely threw it over the backboard. Like little things like that. I think they can make a small change to that event and make it a lot better. Maybe a three-on-three half-court game to 11 and just kind of do it the same way that they did the All-Star game by drafting teams and having captains. So maybe there's an element of changing that style too and making it more competitive for those college players. So um, maybe something in the future where they can kind of change up that style and keep the excitement for that first opening night on Friday. Um, But nonetheless, I think I agree with you that All-Star Weekend was another success and I'm excited to see 
I'm excited to see what they bring here in Chicago. Um, but speaking of that, let's switch gears. Let's go to let's go to the Chicago Bulls team. Uh, this has been one hell of a season. This has been a season that, quite frankly, I think a lot of Bulls fans have either have either completely tuned out, have gained uh, high blood pressure, become so outraged, have become either apathetic with this, have become delusional, have just completely given up. But if you sit somewhere in the middle like Matt and I have been kind of listening to everything that Bulls fans have been saying, talking specifically about this deal that went on after the trade deadline and now watching what Otto Porter has done recently going into the trade deadline, what were your thoughts initially when you saw Otto Porter deal go down and then now watching him being inserted in that lineup four games in going into the All-Star break? What do you like about Otto Porter Jr.? What were your thoughts on the deal and what do you think going into the uh, to the rest of the season? What do you like about his game? Um, when the trade went down, um, it was I, I believe during the New Orleans game, uh, or right before the New Orleans game, where everybody found out that uh, Jabari Parker and Bobby Porter was traded. And when I saw it was for Otto Porter, I was like, "Well, that's a punt on uh, free agency for the next two uh, for the at least for the next two years because of uh, Otto Porter's contract." So I was like, okay, they have an understanding that they're not going to get a major game changer in free agency. So that's one thing fans should should not be expecting. Um, but I like Otto Porter. I like this game. I don't like the contract necessarily, but I, I do like what he provides to uh, NBA team. He is a versatile defender. You know, he's uh, solid, he's strong, and he's a pretty decent three-point shooter. And he – First couple games with the Bulls, he has shown all of those uh, variables in his game. Um, even some, he's even stepped up and taken some guys off, which I didn't see a whole lot of that. Mainly, obviously, because of Bradley Beal and uh, John Wall doing the primary ball handling. But he's able to show that he has that ability, and he's brought that to the Bulls. And I think it's it's for the at least for the short term, it's helped them um, win a couple games. I mean, he had that career night. Uh, that 34 points uh, the other night, and he really showed the range of his game and what he can bring to this team. Um, He's still a young player. Uh, He's like 25, I think. Uh, So he can definitely, for the next two years, uh, grow with that. And he's a piece that they needed. Obviously, with Chandler Hutchison out and the trading of Bobby Portis and uh, Jabari Parker, he can provide that much-needed starting spot. Now, the only thing is, Chandler Hutchinson now is definitely going to be on the bench because he's not a better player and won't be a better player um, for the next two years of Ben Otto Porter Jr. Uh, and uh, I, I just don't think that uh, after all that they said, this organization about growing, growing their talent, seeing what they have, going after Otto Porter, it does have a setback to the growth of Chandler Hutchinson because he's not going to get as many minutes as he did before his uh, his injuries. It's really unfortunate because I really like Chandler Hutchinson, um, and I, I like what he he brings to the to the court uh, for a young guy uh, that's still learning in the NBA. But Otto Porter definitely gives him a boost uh, from that small forward position. Yeah, I agree about the assessment of Chandler Hutchinson too. And even going back to the NBA Combine and you know the supposed promise that they gave him, and then drafting him at twenty two, you know. People were kind of upset in the summer. They say they said 
You know, why didn't we take a look at anybody else and whether or not the promise was actually true and it ended up turning out that they did draft him and still we're not 100% sure if they actually did give him a draft promise. We still told Bulls fans, we were like, give this guy an opportunity and actually go watch the tape on him and see if he can actually be a valuable piece. My curiosity has me wondering if they're a little bit wary about where his ceiling is. If they aren't 100% sure if he can be a ceiling player that can fit a mold of a 25 to 28 minute player a night and being a guy that's played four years in college you know that timeline is a little bit short now with a guy that's been a first year player you know 22 years old gonna be 23 next year that timeline is pretty short for him so I wonder if this move opening up with I don't know like four or five days before the trade deadline John Wall going down needing a wing player having the opportunity to go out and get a guy that can come in, fit the mold that they were looking for right away, only added to a handful of other factors that made mo- even more sense. And I agree with you too. I didn't wasn't a huge fan of the money, but I kept circling back to the one main theme, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Why did it take so long for them to realize that free agency, they were going to punt on free agency? Like, the writing had to be on the wall like where Fred Hoiberg was like when you fired Fred Hoiberg at the beginning of December you had to know nobody was coming in free agency the team was bad and while even though you had injuries to some of your main players you had to know that most of these top free agents weren't going to sniff Chicago in 2019 you had to know your timeline was going to be pushed back because of all of these injuries whether or not these guys were going to come back and play well so I was just very weary about even though they made the right decision and knew that free agency wasn't the reality, I just was very curious about why it took them so long to come to this decision. And, and you know, Jordan, it was it was kind of twofold for me as well that, okay, at least to a certain degree, the Bulls knew that they had an understanding. They had no foothold in any free agent's mind. Uh, not a game-changing free agent, you know, uh, at that. But it was also like, an acceptance of it that I necessarily didn't like either that, okay, it's good to know that nobody likes you, but you don't have to accept that nobody likes you and do nothing to change that narrative. And that also kind of irked me a little bit as well. It's like being so empathetic about yourself. It's like, you know, Jim Boyle preaches about wearing the bulls across their chest and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, but the management doesn't necessarily have the, uh, the respect about the Bulls brand and what it means in the history of the league, you know, in terms of those Jordan years and the weight that it holds just globally, they just seem to give it up. They're saying they're not, they, they don't have respect for themselves as a, as a front office of the uh, number three market of the Bulls brand. And you're just giving up just like that. Like it, 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 it that bothered me probably the, uh, uh, the most outside of just the basketball aspect of, of uh, Otto Porter coming here, but it, it just felt really weird to me that the, uh, that an organization uh, front office was allowed to just say, Hey, nobody's going to come in here. So, you know, whatever, we'll just deal with it. Like I didn't, I didn't like that personally. Yeah, and I would have been fine with the, the idea of patience like that to me was okay last year because they preached that since the beginning, the, the beginning time when they traded Jimmy 
in 2017. And they preached that all the way up to the season-ending press conference. They preached it all the way through the, the draft last year, last summer, all the way through July 1st, 2018. And then they signed Zach. They re-signed him to four years, $80 million. Okay, you knew that that was coming. But then they went out and then they signed Jabari Parker to two years, $40 million with the option of the second year. That move right there said they were trying to speed this rebuild up a little bit. And while they left the one-year window open of flexibility and said, we're going to try a flyer on this guy, to me, that didn't say patience. That said, we're going to hit the accelerator on this rebuild a little bit and see if we can we can win the lottery a little bit here and see if we can we can try to speed things up. And the majority of us said that that wasn't going to work. That just didn't fit the mold of this team and what you were trying to build. And the writing was right there. So, so that's what I think confused a lot of Bulls fans is when you make that type of signing last summer and then you turn around and trade him six months later and then try to tell a lot of our fans that 2019 is going to be a punt and you're not going to do that. And then even 2020 is probably going to be a punt and you're not going to do that. It just sends mixed messages that I think Bulls fans are very confused. And a lot of us are just like, do you really know what your direction is? And why did you save all this cap space and talk about caps flexibility and use that as an asset and part of your your speech and your pitches for this rebuild? But at the same time, now you've kind of you've kind of contradicted yourself. And so that's where that's where I became frustrated because they didn't stick to the plan. They got a little bit ahead of themselves last summer. And now it's like, okay, you added Otto Porter and he's a great play and he can be a great player here, but that wasn't really the plan all along. Yeah, exactly. Now what? What does he do going forward and how does that get, get you how does that get you further to to where you want to be and where I want to be as a Bulls fan, no matter how long it takes during this rebuild, is one day back to an NBA Finals appearance. Yeah, it's and it, it, it's it's so weird because we've seen just the the how to do it from different organizations. Um, no one rebuild is is the same, but you have examples on how to go about this rebuild. Obviously, they didn't want to go the Seventy Sixers route. Of, of rebuilding, which is just tanking and being god-awful you know, until you get a game-changer. And now the Sixers have two. So that has worked. Uh, the Golden State, where the advanced scouting uh, aspect, the uh, adding pieces together, that's, a, that's an angle that you can go. Uh, or you can go the, now the more traditional route of going to free agency and woo the big stars to come to your city. Um, it, it just seems like they're just flying by the seat of their pants you know, with, with this Bulls franchise, like you said, the Jabari signing, I, I have yet to I, – I don't see or haven't talked to anyone that wasn't confused about that signing. No disrespect to uh, Jabari Parker because he is a Chicago, you know, high school legend. Uh, but everybody was confused. It's like, why? I mean, you know he doesn't play defense. All the fans knew he doesn't play defense. And he told you in that first press conference on – uh uh, well, his first interview on 670 The Score with the uh, Bernstein and McKnight show that he doesn't play defense. And <laughs> right. we were like, okay. <laughs> and, and it seems like that's, that's they missed all of that for some reason or chose to ignore it. I don't know what's worse, choosing to ignore, you know, a, a blatant issue or 
just forgetting all about it. Like, it, it was weird that they, they didn't see that. And then you go off and bench him and then trade him. And it, it, that signing was just all bad because now there's another Chicago person, a hometown kid that has nothing but most likely negativity to say about your organization when potential free agents are, are looking to sign here. And that, that was just all bad from jump. Yeah. And I feel bad for Jabari. And I knew like, as soon as he got benched and while he didn't, he didn't do the most things to help himself out and help his situation out early on. It seemed like his, his game started to pick it up after he got benched and then he was put back into the lineup. He was playing pretty well. And even before that, like that stretch of seven to 10 games before he was benched, he played pretty well. He was the second leading scorer on this Bulls team. Four Fred Foiberg got canned, and then he came back and showcased himself a little bit. And obviously his weaknesses were showing, but still, I think he just needed a reset and he needed to go somewhere else where he can get a fresh start. And that's exactly what he needed going to the Wizards. So I was fine with that. But yeah, from day one, he basically told you, this is the player I am. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. It's it. I'm. I can't. I'm not going to change. This is what I am. This is what you paid me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's was the frustrating thing of it all. But um, let's go on to some of the players that are actually here now. Um, looking forward to the rest of the season and even beyond that, what the Bulls are going to do this summer and beyond, maybe even what they're going to look like beyond this season. Specifically, let's talk a little bit about Zach Levine for a minute. You know, Zach Levine struggled in the month of November, and I think that was his worst month ever. as In a Chicago Bulls uniform, and maybe we can even say in his career, you know, he took a high volume of shots. He was shooting below 40% from the field. Seems like he was just out of character for Zach Levine, and a lot of people wanted to peg him as maybe a ball hog, maybe peg him as a one-trick player. And it seems like now he's developed... A lot more to his game. It seems like that confidence has come back. What are you seeing out of Zach Levine that you really like out of his game? Seems like the playmaking is starting to come around a little bit. Do you think Otto Porter has added any elements to that? And now maybe a healthy, confident Lowry Markkinen has added any of those additional things to that? And more so than anything else, what do you think this summer is going to bring in terms of what Zach Levine's going to ask of the front office, what Zach Levine's going to demand of the direction of this team going forward. Um, I like Zach Levine, not just as a basketball player, but as a, a uh, individual. Um, when he's talking to the media, he's been honest every step of the way. Uh, the first signals of uh, the problems with Jim Boylan actually came from an honest Zach Levine. You know, his, his uh, you know, thoughts on how games were ending versus uh, Jim Boylan. And it, it's not from a disrespectful uh, way that he was presenting it. It was just a matter of fact, and he wanted to get things fixed. So I respect that uh, from a just a personal standpoint from uh, Zach Levine. But his basketball game, I mean, he's taken a, a, a big step uh, on his game. I, I think that he's definitely earned uh, that new contract that he got uh, from, from the Bulls. Uh, he, I think he's proven that he was well worth the investment. Um, uh, recently, you know, in, in, in the post game, you know, we see him, you know, he's icing almost right away after the game. So he's definitely you know, the last, I would say, two or three weeks or so has been battling some injuries and, and playing through uh, some of those injuries. So I definitely, you know, respect that. He's got that uh, Jim Boylan, you know, grits and toughness that he likes uh, playing through those injuries. Uh, but in terms of growth of his, growth of his game, um, 
he's definitely been helped by a healthy Laurie Markkinen and a uh, influx of play from Otto Porter. Um, early in the season, when everybody was basically gone, Laurie, uh, he it was just him. And he was taking all the shots. He wasn't that efficient, but it was just him. And as the players start to slowly return, he's definitely a willing, you know, a willing passer. Um, he's not the best passer, but he's a willing passer. And I think uh, building blocks of a franchise starts with a, a key player or that you're trying to build around being a willing passer. And he's definitely that. Uh, and uh, having Otto Porter off the wing, driving to the lane, uh, spotting up for open threes when Zach Levine drives, I think that's definitely helped his game uh, and boosts his confidence. And uh, to answer the latter part of your question, um, I think he's going to be up front with his organization. I think he wants to know, hey, where are we going? You know, what, what are your plans? What are you, they may not tell him the whole truth. <laughs> and as you say, Gar Foreman, at least from Bobby Portis' account. Uh, but I think he's going to be up front with his organization. And if he – I wouldn't be surprised. Now, I'm not reporting this at all. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, hey, if, if there's no, you know, uh, organizational uh, direction and we're just out here – you know, playing basketball. I think Zach Levine wants to win. I I really think he wants to win, and I think he wants to be a star in the NBA and for the Bulls. But hey, I mean, the players have the power now, so it it, it wouldn't he wouldn't be viewed any differently if he asked out. If, if he felt like, man, this organization doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, and you talked about his contract too. Like that contract isn't bad. Like people kind of freaked it's out not. about it this summer, yeah. but it's not a bad contract for the, the number Zach Levine is putting yeah. up, even though Zach yeah, Levine a, isn't a good defender at all. Like mm-hmm. that that contract isn't bad. And with the cap going up and every year it continuing to go up, <laughs> that contract gets better and better and better. Like $18 million dollars over the next three years each year. That is a very valuable contract for what Zach Levine mm-hmm. can bring you, and especially just for the scoring. I think you're you're spot on, though. Not only what Zach Levine can bring on the floor, but what he brings off the floor, too. And that's not just to say what he brings in the locker room, the voice that he's shown this year for this team. Calling people out on the BS, you know, instead of just cupcaking everything. He's saying what the real problems are, and that's been what the issue has been with this team is kind of hiding behind some of the generalizations of this team and just kind of just being scared to just say how it is. And I think partially fighting through that and just realizing that, you know, we can't just say that everything's going to be okay or we need to fight with toughness and grit. And like at a certain point, no, it comes down to, hey, here's the real problems. Here's what we need to fix. This is the issue. Let's figure out how to do that. And if we can't do that, then we need to find change. And how do we do that? And I appreciate that so much from Zach Levine, and I think a lot of fans are starting to really respect that. And the one thing that I I took note of was Zach Levine said a month ago, back when the Bulls played Portland on their West Coast trip, he talked about the three-point shots and the three-point attempts. And he said, you know, I want to start taking more threes, but I got to be more efficient first in the way I want to take threes. And I can take them, but... We need other guys to be able to take those, and the right guys need to take those. But he also said it's twofold. We need to take threes, but we also need to start getting to the free throw line more. It starts with both of those. And you need to get to the free throw line to open up shots at the three-point line. While Zach Levine hasn't been taking more shots from the uh, the three-point line, 
He's been getting to the free throw line a ton, and that's been opening up the three-point line for guys like Lowry Markkinen, and now since Otto Porter's been inserted, he's been taking more threes. Wayne Selden has been inserted into this rotation over the last six weeks or so. He's been taking more threes, so I appreciate him backing up the statements he's made even just over a month ago and actually proving that he's making those types of changes, but I think if he can build off of the way that he's kind of taking those baby steps with the playmaking ability of keeping his head up when he drives to the basket and kicking out to guys like Markin and Otto Porter, willing to make that extra pass instead of fighting through three defenders going to the basket and trying to just chuck up a shot and not drawing the foul and creating a turnover or a miss at the basket. Those little baby steps are making me believe in Zach Levine even more and more. But I think it goes back to your main point is if the Bulls don't make big changes this summer or don't at least pitch to Zach Levine that they've got everything under control and the direction under control, we may see him ask for ask for big changes or a, a change in his direction as far as where he wants to go or what he wants to yeah, do. Yeah, it's it's only the logic the next logical step after all the craziness of this year has uh you know has brought on um, the, the basically the, the flat out embarrassment. I mean that Sacramento game, I was there. Uh, when Sacramento came back uh, in that fourth quarter, end up you know beating the Bulls uh, pretty handily at the end of that, and then they run off the court yelling you know about their two-hour practices. I mean, a player doesn't want to be disrespected like that, <laughs> you know, especially if if it continues where your players talk, players talk, and you can ask them, hey, what do you think about the Bulls, or what do you think about Jim Boylan or Garth Foreman, and they're gonna be like, hey, I. I mean, I don't know them, but they don't look like they know what they're doing over there. And for Zach Levine, who wants all these things, um, who is a dunk champion, who has been a part of all-star festivities before, for him not to be, you know, an all-star this year after, you know, the the big jump in his game. And maybe even when the when the all-star game comes here, it's it's a good possibility that the Bulls may not have an all-star. Um, so that – all of that added in, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Levine won. That's why I think that, you know, the, it, as much as the freakout is about Otto Porter coming here and the Bulls all of a sudden starting to win a couple of these games is from some of the fans that want this team to tank, I think it is a good thing that the Bulls are starting to find chemistry among this starting unit. And the Bulls even picking up a couple wins here and there, this is a good thing. This is what we wanted to see all season. At least, I shouldn't say we, I should say I've wanted to see this. And, and with the lottery odds flattening this year among the top three teams and even throughout the, the lottery in general in the top 10, this is what we've wanted to see. Lowry Marketing, Zach Levine, and poor Chris Dunn, we'll get to him in a second. This is just what we've wanted to see. Carter, and now with Porter in that lineup, if this continues to carry out through the rest of the season, maybe this will boost some of the confidence level that Zach Levine has as a whole with the direction of the the guys he's playing with, the locker room in general, and the state of the franchise as a whole going into year three of the rebuild and how he feels in general. Despite whatever happened in the first 50-odd games of the season, despite the coaching and that being up in the air, as opposed to, yeah, you can lose out the rest of the games and that doesn't even guarantee you that you're going to catch the Knicks, the Suns, or the Cavs in the remaining 27 games that you got re- the rest of the season. Yeah, this is just... You know, you obviously don't want to see a god-awful team. You know, you, you do want to see, like, a little bit of growth, you know, from the guys. But, you know, for a Wolves fan, honestly, they they still should be rooting for bottom four or bottom three, 
you know, for this team, just because you know that that top pick will add juice to this organization. Um, no disrespect to Wendell Carter. I think he's going to be a, a great player in the NBA. I think he's going to contribute to a winning team one day. Um, but he's not a game changer. And as we all know, the game changers are at the top of the draft. You're not getting any in free agency. So the only route that this organization has allowed itself to uh, accrue top-tier talent is in the draft. So um, the goal should still be bottom four, bottom three. But I agree with you. You still want to see some growth. Uh, from Zach Levine, from Laurie Marketing, um, and, and some hope, at least for this current roster going into the next season. Speaking of the draft and speaking of just the lottery odds in general, you know, on Friday's show, I was telling people it's going to be really difficult to catch the Knicks and the Suns. They just came off and snapped that losing streak <laughs> thanks so to the, the Knicks. Oh, man. <laughs> 33 in a row. The Suns and the Knicks combined to lose 33 straight games coming into the All-Star break. And they were the Knicks were lucky enough to beat the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, thanks for that. The Atlanta Hawks are the one team that are actually behind the Bulls for fourth and fifth mm-hmm. seed. That's why I'm saying, like, the, this last stretch of games, the Atlanta Hawks has, have played really decent basketball for a team that's mm-hmm. still hanging in the bottom five. They won four of their last six in the last 10 games coming to the All-Star break, but they did lose Jeremy Lin, so that I don't I don't know if that's that's more leadership than anything else as far as product mm-hmm. on the floor, but still, five games from flipping four to five with the Bulls. I just don't see any way of the Bulls catching those top two seeds um, in the lottery standings. The only team that they could the Bulls could potentially flip-flop is with the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers just got Kevin Love back, so... Looking at the Bulls roster, the only saving grace I think I see here with this team still stacking up a lot of losses, even if the starting unit is good, is the Bulls bench. The Bulls bench might be the worst bench we see across the entire NBA. And that's no so shot like, at any right? of those. No, Go ahead. You're not an Archie Diacono fan or Antonio Blakeney fan? <laughs> Look, good for Ryan Archie Diacono and good for Shaq Harrison as far as those two guys who went from being undrafted to getting fully guaranteed contracts for their goals. Good for those guys, but man, those guys just, they're not going to be, they're not going to be guys on this team. I'm trying to be nice to those guys, but it's just, I, I, I I don't know. It's just, it's not, it's not it. They, they, they're not it. And Felicio, like you, you can even see it. Jim Boylan can't stick those guys out there in full five-player five units. Like, you can't stick the entire second unit out there because they just get absolutely crushed. And poor Wayne Selden. You know, poor Wayne Selden. Uh, he gets yeah. Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker traded. The two guys he had chemistry with, he was lighting the entire world on fire in the first three weeks. Gets those two guys traded now, pushed back to the second unit from his quasi-starting role, and now he's seeming the, seemingly struggling a little bit to find his footing because he's looking around the second unit going, wait, who am I playing with? Like, who? <laughs> and so I got to feel a little bit bad for him. So that's my only saving grace with this team is saying like, okay, if Jim Boylan isn't going to push these starters to play 40 minutes a night, we may see some losses start to stack up here in the final 25, 27 games. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that assessment. Um, that it, if he's thinking, if he is supposed to be the coach, at least for the end of this year, going into next year, he's got to think about that uh, and not just winning game to game. I mean, uh, I asked, you know, I asked him um, about 
him burning through all his timeouts and stuff like that. And he was like, well, when you play, you know, Milwaukee or Golden State or you, when those runs happen, you want to you stop them. But that's a pattern with him. He's trying to win, not, not, not saying that he shouldn't try to win every game, but if he's here and if he was given the assurance that he's going to be the head coach at least for the next two years, He's got to start thinking about the long-range play on this. Does Laurie Markman need to play 40-plus minutes a night coming off a, you know, an elbow injury in an injury history? I don't think so. Does Zach Levine need to play 40-plus minutes a night with his injury history? I don't think so. Um, so, like you say, it, the, adding those bench players, giving them the minutes, to it will lead to uh, more losses. Which, But I don't think Jim Boylan sees that, honestly. I, I don't think he – has his mind wrapped around that concept of, you know, I'm going to be here for at least for the next two seasons. I should probably get them ready and, 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 and uh, help this team out for, you know, the years to come. He's trying to win every game as much as possible. You can tell by the use of his timeouts. You can tell by his uh, his demeanor that that's that's not really on his mind. So you've obviously been in the scrums, you've been in the media scrums, you've been to practices, you've listened to these players, and you listen to Jim Boylan specifically. Obviously, you've you've listened to the tone that he has and the way he's talked about the players in the games. Have you seen? Have you heard? And can you see like just from being in front of him constantly a shift in tone and the shift in the way he's been approaching this and you know, trying to be as fair as possible to him with all the criticism we've given him. Have you seen a, a shift in a learning a learning process from him? Because he, this is the first time he's been a head coach. Have you seen him shift and start to learn as as how he's supposed to, to uh, I guess, approach things when he's talking to the media or still going back to, uh, I guess, like the gritness and the toughness and like these buzzwords that he always uses to talk about the the NBA because I feel like th- somewhere deep down inside Jim Boylan there is basketball knowledge that that is really good and you know as much as we we joke about his resume and that always he loves to go back to that there is really good NBA stuff in there but he loves to just crutch back on the gritness and the toughness and all of that and it's like why do you have to go back to that you know basketball so just give us the basketball reasons so has there been any some any change that you can see over the couple of months that you've been in front of him that that says okay he's actually trying to make some strides as an actual NBA coach just outside of the actual X's and O's and the just the day-to-day stuff well the players aren't you know going to the players union so I guess that's good that shows a change. <laughs> well, at least the players' um, union hasn't reported it to the league. Right. Uh, but um, I got to say, not real, not much um, since, since, since he became coach. Um, John, pa- John Paxson wanted a specific type of person after Fred. And now Jim Boylan is trying to be that specific type of person. And you can tell by the buzzwords that he uses, toughness, uh, grit, that he was told uh, spirit, if I can add a third option. Um, he, was, he, he must have been told by that front office, this is what we need from you, and this is what we need from this team. And, I, I mean, I can blame the front office. I can blame Jim for saying, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can be that guy. 
uh, with all his basketball knowledge and experience and, and, and dealing with his NBA players and him just dealing with this team for, uh, for the last, what, three years or so, he should know the temperament, um, the how to reach these guys since he's been in this locker room. And to me, it doesn't seem like he's gotten that. And it's weird because you can go back to his resume, and he always goes back to his resume. He's 33 years of NBA experience. His head coaching at, at Utah. I mean, he's just an old-school guy. And I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with that, but for the, the younger NBA player who now has an understanding of his power in the NBA, especially the, the star NBA players or potential stars uh, NBA players, he doesn't doesn't know how to reach those guys. And if your head coach has problems getting the most out of his players, not only uh, putting them in a disadvantage tactical wise with the X's and O's, um, but also not getting the, the the most effort out of his players. And he's just the rah rah guy, and it's not working. How can you? How can he stay? It's 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 a weird aspect to this organization that they're going backwards uh not not only from a uh you know a, a, a relationship standpoint with its players but also a tactical standpoint with with their players um late in games it, it, the bulls don't seem like they're in, in close games they don't know what they're doing mainly because he's one he's running out of timeouts <laughs> so he can't really set up anything and the stuff that he does set up it, it, it doesn't seem like it's it's updated at all so going back to your, to answer your original question um it i don't see that much of a change uh in him i mean the again the players aren't angry at him every every practice they've uh, they've gotten used to the running and, and the sprints and you know stuff like that in the hard practice they've gotten used to that but other than that i don't really see any major changes from him that's interesting it's just it to me it's it's it, you know that's where I I I find it very difficult to continue. It's it's a new age of basketball, and not being able to relate to the young players in this generation of players can only get you so far. It's like you can have the greatest basketball mind in the world, but if you can't connect on a per- personal level or you can't relate to the young players on that type of level, it can only get you so far. And now I don't know their personal relationships on a day-to-day basis, and they may have good ones, but when you can't relate to how they're dealing with things and what they see and what they know, every single day it just makes me believe that at some point there is, there's a gap. There's a gap between the players and, and the coach and that relationship. And from afar or from close, and you can hear it. You can just hear it in the players' voices and the things that they say and their body language. And no matter no matter the way you try to change it, and if the coach doesn't want to take responsibility or accountability or doesn't want to change the way that he's going about it, then, then nothing's going to improve really that drastically, no matter the talent that you bring in or the changes that you make. Um, Tony, the last thing I've got for you, this has been fantastic, by the way, Let's talk quickly about Chris Dunn. So Chris Dunn has been, um, let's just say, it, it hasn't been a very good year for Chris Dunn. And that's putting it very mildly, and that's putting very nicely. Chris Dunn has had a very difficult year. I've been a very big fan of Chris Dunn's game since he came to the Chicago Bulls. Last year, I thought he had 
he had a great year when he was on the floor. He had stretches of very consistent play. I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to help drive this team. And we didn't see him play with Lowry Marketing and Zach Levine together, only 12 games together. Came into this season after one game, had the MCL sprain, was out for a month, a month and a half. Returned. It was okay in stretches. Didn't get to play with Hoiberg, though. Was under Jim Boyle in a different system. Shots started not falling while his his shot at the basket was going in at the beginning. Then the mid-range game didn't go down. Then he tried to start shooting threes. That stopped going down. The defense has kind of declined a little bit. What are, you, what are your senses of Chris Dunn? What are your senses of the people in the Bulls organization? What are their feelings are, Chris Dunn? And obviously, now they've made it a point at the trade deadline of addressing that situation and saying that they're going to make some changes and they're going to try to upgrade the position this summer, whether it's through the draft and free agency. What do you think the evaluation process is on Chris Dunn? And what do you think the best move going forward is for him, either changing him, moving him to the second unit, trading him, and where do you see his fit now going forward? Um, when we were discussing Zach Levine and we were discussing all the things that Zach was providing now with his playmaking ability, as I was as I was talking on that issue, I was hoping that we would get to the Chris Dunn factor of it. Because if, if Zach Levine is the primary playmaker now, what's the use of Chris Dunn at this point? Uh, he's not a spot-up shooter. I mean, he's athletic, but he – doesn't have supreme athleticism. Um, he's not the best passer. Uh, he still has issues on identifying uh, who has the hot hand and how to give them the ball, what plays to run to uh, to give that hot player the ball, either Laurie or Zach or Otto Porter. Um, I think that they're going to be in the market for a, a point guard um, going into this offseason. And it, it's it's no disrespect to Chris Dunn. I mean, he's, he's a hard worker. Um, he's had some injury issues. But the fact of the matter is Chris Dunn isn't getting it done from that position. And it may be unfair, but it, it's just what it is. The point guard play in today's NBA is – I don't know if you can even argue it, but it's probably the highest that it's ever been in the NBA. Just all the, the, the amount of point guards that are all-stars that couldn't – it took Damian Lillard a while to get that all-star nod, um, to get an all-NBA nod. And it's Damian Lillard. So right, <laughs> and, and right. If, if we're talking about Chris Dunn and, and what he brings to his organization, uh, John Paxson was shown – and I shared the picture, uh, and you shared the picture of him at the <laughs> Murray State game watching John Moran. <laughs> uh, now, I'll be, it was a funny face that he was making, but – Cameron is a good point guard, and if if they don't if they're not in the market for Zion Williamson or Cam Reddish, the only two players is John Morant and and RJ Barrett. Both are very good ball handlers. Both can can see the floor very well. Both are a playmakers uh, for their position. Either you, if you go to the traditional point guard size of of six three John Morant or the now or newer bigger point guard that you can make uh, R.J. Barrett into, if you draft any of those guys, you can't put those guys on the bench. Like uh, Chris Dunn, if, if you draft one of those guys, John Morant or R.J. Barrett, Chris Dunn is done. Like, no pun intended. He's done. Uh, because he, you can't allow that talent, which, as you can see, they're 
wildly more just physically gifted than Chris Dunn is, you can't have that talent coming behind uh, Chris Dunn, who's still learning really how to be a point guard, which I think the, the, the information is out. Chris Dunn isn't a, isn't a point guard. So he's, a, he's more of an off-guard type. He's more of a slasher uh, type guy. He's not really a setter offense. Everything runs through me. I'm the leader of this team. Let's, let's see what we're setting up here. He's not that guy. Um, and that's an issue because you got, as of right now, Kyrie. You've got uh, up-and-coming point guards, uh, Ben Simmons. You, the, the point guard play is not going to get any worse. It's only going to get better. And if you're in that position on your team is falling behind, you need to make a change, especially if you have the opportunity to draft a John Morant or, uh, or, or R.J. Barrett. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I mean, I talked about the Grizzlies game on Friday, and, you know, I asked the question, is it a bigger – what's the bigger indictment, the fact that – the fact that the offense looked night and day better with Ryan Archie Diakno playing and starting with the starting units and Zach Levine being the main playmaker with that group, or is it the fact that Chris Dunn was sitting out and is it more of an indictment on Chris Dunn's play? And it has nothing to do with Ryan Archie Diakno because that's that's not what we're talking about here. It's it's a point guard like Ryan Archie Diakno, a guy that's going to look for a pass first. It's a guy that's going to look to facilitate, not need the ball in his hands to, in order to score, not going to look to score first, not going to be your first, second, or third, even third option, or even fourth option to score on the floor. And I think that's even more so the reason why they went out and sent scouts to go look at guys like Ricky Rubio, guys like Darren Collison, guys even looked, they even looked at options like Walter Lemon to bring up, and they they used the competition factor, but I don't even think it was that point. I think it was more so to bring in a guy that's going to be a willing passer, and so maybe it is the option of if they don't get Zion and they somehow end up in the top two or three or four in this draft, maybe it is John Morant. Or if they lose out on John Morant in the draft, then maybe they do and they will certainly go out and look at all the free agent options that are available this summer. But for Chris Dunn, I think it's going to be a hard conversation that they're going to have to have this offseason with him and say, look, I know you're coming to a contract year after this year. And we're going to have to make a decision here. Maybe it's best that you move to the second unit. And maybe that's an opportunity that can open up things for you to not only score, but also get guys in positions to score. And maybe that's better for him. And I don't know, the injury history too, while a lot of those have been kind of fluky injuries, that kind of concerns me. And maybe that played a factor too. And there's just so many factors with Chris Dunn that just have been unfortunate for him. But at the same time, you know, we can't wait around forever. The Bulls can't wait around for him forever. You know, contract year coming up next year, and that maybe played a factor too in his head where he felt like in order to get paid in this league, like Jabari Parker said this summer, you got to be able to score. Guys get paid to score. They don't get paid to play play defense. So uh, very interesting things on Chris Dunn, but I think you're you're right. And last question I got for you. Are you, uh, please tell me you're you're not on board with the idea of, of, experimenting with Zach Levine going to point guard. Please, please, please just tell oh, me you're no. not on, on board no, no, with no. that idea. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was uh, if you if Zach Levine is your point guard, you got some major point guard issues. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not that is not how you get the most out of your team and out of Zach Levine. He has <laughs> one has really no interest in playing point guard. 
Um, Agreed. When we talk about the yeah, the playmaking abilities, it's only because as a, as a reserve factor, like he can score and he can play make. You know, it's not that you know we're looking for him to make plays, but yeah, no, I'm not on board with that. Oh, we fielded, I can't even tell you, probably two dozen questions of the last week. And I think it just came with Chris Dunn being hurt and just watching him, even from the Grizzlies game, people just suggesting, you know, maybe we should experiment with Zach Levine there and, you know, watch Devin Booker in, in Phoenix doing it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Remember November? Remember when Zach Levine tried to do that in November and all the turnovers he had and all the frustration? Do you guys remember that? Let's let's not do that. Let's 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 not do that. Well, Tony, this was this was fantastic. Thank you again for coming on the show. It's been this has been way overdue, way long overdue. Please tell all of our listeners where they can where they can find all of your work, where they can listen to your podcast, um, where they can catch you. All right, um, guys, you can catch me on six seventy the score. Uh, I'm on not nightly, but you might catch me on the night uh, producing for Lawrence Holmes or Julie DeCarroll or Nick Serpkowski. You may catch me on the afternoon show or that, but uh, you can catch me there live. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at TonyGill670 on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And also, you can find the No Zones podcast. It's a fun podcast where we talk to different guests. I definitely got to get Jordan or, or, or Matt on uh, to discuss some bulls on the No Zones coming up soon. Uh, but you can uh, search on uh, iTunes or whatever you get your podcast. Uh, just search No Zones with Tony Gill and uh, it'll be right there. Tony, this was fantastic. Hopefully you can, uh, you can push through this bull season as we've got about, uh, I don't know, 25, 27 games left in this season. Push through. This has been, it's been a difficult year, but if we can get towards that draft, crossing our fingers, the bulls can sneak their way through that lottery. We're unlucky last year, but maybe, maybe luck will be on the bulls side this season. Tony, thanks again. Follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Gill, six seventy. And uh, the No Zones podcast out weekly, every single week. So anywhere you get podcasts, you can get it there. Tony, thanks again for coming on Locked on Bulls. Thanks a lot, Jordan. I appreciate you. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Thanks again to Tony Gill for hopping on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at TonyGill670. Check out the No Zones podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. You want to drop us a review? It's the best way you can help our show out. If you love what we're doing here at Locked On Bulls five days a week, take 30 seconds out of your day to drop us a review either on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what we're doing here, we would appreciate it so much. Thankful all the time for our listeners. For Jordan Malley, for Tony Gill, our guest, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan Malley and for my guest, Tony Gill, we are saying we are out of here, Bulls Nation. Have a great day. Stay safe. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com 